The Valley Hub Stories podcast acknowledged the traditional custodians of the land on which this podcast has been recorded, Gumbangia Country. We value and respect their continuing connection to and care of country throughout time. Welcome to the eighth episode of the Valley Hub Stories podcast. You can now find us on Spotify, Apple and Google Podcasts along with Podbean. We'd love you to share us with your friends and family so we can continue bringing you fresh and new content long into the future. You can rate us, share us or drop a review. It all helps. Today, I'm talking to Debbie Green. Debbie and her family are familiar faces in the Nambucca Valley. You may recognise her voice, but if you don't, I think you'll recognise her story. Here, Debbie talks about what led her down her current path, creating homemade, still warm sourdough treats for locals from her very own family farm, with a focus on sustainable practices. Debbie and her family have had quite the journey over the past few years. Not only did her husband Mick have a serious motorbike accident, but the family were also impacted by the 2019 bushfires, with Mick on the fire front for a number of days. In this episode, Debbie talks a little about what this was like and how this subsequently led the family to where they are now. If you find the revisiting of this event distressing, we encourage you to reach out and speak to someone close to you. You can also call Lifeline on 131114. For now, we hope you feel the warmth and wholesomeness Debbie exudes. And if you don't know much about sourdough and soil microbes, I promise you will by the end of this episode. Let's go. Debbie, thanks for joining me on the podcast today. Thank you so much for having me. So, Debbie, we did an article on your sourdough not so long ago on The Hub and it was really interesting to hear how you started the process of becoming interested in sourdough and sort of homestead living. And so I'd like to talk to you, I guess, about where you come from to start with and how you got to where you are today. So let's start with... You. So you grew up in Nelson's Bay? I did. So I spent nearly all of my childhood down in Nelson's Bay or Nelson Bay, not Nelson's Bay. Um, And I can't say I've come from a farming background whatsoever. I did think I lived very rural because all my um, cousins and family lived in Sydney. So I thought I was the country kid. And when my husband and I decided to come to Maxville, I thought I was in the middle of nowhere. I actually thought, oh, I didn't I didn't live in the country. I was a bit confused. So it was a few years of me being petrified of cows, snakes, spiders, not really knowing what my place was here as well. So my childhood was still pretty outside base. So we, we did have a little bit of property and I, I always explored in the back yard sort of thing which went into the back of a mountain and I remember having lots of you know little animals and birds and fish and all that sort of stuff but nothing like what I've what we've got here once we had our baby I actually thought you know what would I do if I went to a farm I just thought I'd be so isolated I'd be so lonely and it's actually been totally the opposite it's actually been more more nurturing and more homey than I've ever felt wherever I've lived all over the world so but yeah, when we first moved here, I was really concerned about what I would do and I'm a hairdresser by trade. So that's how I started off. And I actually liked meeting people that way because I live on a farm. I don't see many people and for me to go to town and actually see people was really great. And I did that for quite a few years until 
a little bit of a health choice, I suppose, was I started to get really aware of the chemicals I was using in hairdressing and touching and breathing. And I'd already had two babies. And while I was pregnant, I was mixing bleach up and I was just, I had a little moment. I thought, what the hell am I, what am I doing? <laughs> this is, this can't be good. And then I'm putting my hands in it. And, and yeah, so there was a little moment where I thought, I just don't, I don't think I can do this anymore. And it was a whole shift with our whole like our whole household really, like starting to go minimal with chemicals and just simplifying everything a bit as well. So my husband works, you know, 24 hours a day. He's a farmer and I was working at night time. So we weren't really seeing each other and we both said, okay, something's got to give. What do you want to do? What do you want to do? Yeah, so I decided to stop that and just concentrate on being a mum, which I'd never, ever done and didn't really know what that entailed because I'd never not worked, acted, you know, left the home to work. We drew up a vision board of what we kind of envisioned for our future and mine was just that I just wanted to be at home whether my kids wanted me here or not. I wanted to be able to pick them up from school, have some bread cooling on the oven, something cooking so I'm not rushing around yelling at people going, you know, being stressed basically. Yeah, so that sort of started like that and uh, you know I, we started to invest in our gardening and trying to cook from scratch I thought I'd be better at that but I'm not re- really I like the idea of it but it's hard work so I still have to get Mick to help me with that quite a bit yeah so then the the bread on the the oven thing I don't know whether that was foresight or what but I just envisioned cooling food or cake and kids coming home and happy and and uh, yeah, so I I set about trying to figure out how I was going to do that. So that's kind of how I got to where I am now, pretty much. <laughs> so what year did you move to the valley? I moved here, I don't know what year it was, but it was probably uh, 16 years ago. Okay. So we moved up when my daughter was two. So it was a huge change and I wasn't really prepared for... Well, the lifestyle change it actually was. Like there isn't shops open on a Sunday and you don't go for coffee or we don't. Don't go out for breakfast every morning and all of a sudden you're at home a lot of the time. So you've got to make your home this place of joy and and enjoy like our coffee in the morning. Mick and I have it together every morning and we just think we're just so lucky (laughs) to be able to sit here together and have our morning coffee and eat good food that comes from our farm, including our own beef our own veggies sometimes if we can and we also do a few little swapsies with other neighbours who grow veggies or eggs and, you know, they get a loaf of bread in in return. So tell me about your family. You mentioned before uh, mixed interest in regenerative agriculture. Can you tell me about a little bit more about that? Yeah, sure. So, yeah, I guess his journey's a, a story in itself. It's been quite a long time coming for him to have the bravery to take the step onto what he wants to do. So his father is 84, I think, and he's still farming and he's a traditional farmer and still does a fabulous job. But Mick sort of came to the same conclusion about the chemical thing that I did and it got to the point where he couldn't ignore it and he he just had this, I guess, desire to do things easier for himself. Like he doesn't want to be 80 trudging around spraying chemicals and you know having to irrigate and all that sort of stuff so he came to we started studying about regenerative ag which was really 
quite in its infancy, I guess, when um, he started talking about it. And I would say that was the 16 years ago and it was just this little thing in his head and he just kept plodding along because it was a bit too hard to start and people were judging, you know, our paddocks being a bit untidy and all that sort of thing. And then it got to the point where he just didn't deny it anymore and he found like-minded farmers that we all work together and they get it and they understand the low chemical input and, you know, less fuel better for the environment and really he calls himself a soil farmer because he's trying to grow soil and the cattle are just the helpers that they're his tools to do that and it's yeah he's on this whole other journey about microbes and soil and health and you know what what you're putting into these cattle is what you're eating so we don't want to have anything nasty in there and yeah alongside that I'm doing the sourdough very similar in a weird type of way it's just about health and gut health and minimal chemical input and also the energy that you put into it as well. Would you say there's a a growing interest in our area in, I guess, the methodologies that you're living by? Oh, I think that, well, I don't know whether we're just more aware of it, but I feel like everyone I talk to is on the same path. And I think, I don't know whether it's because like attracts like, and all of a sudden my eyes are open and I think, wow, everyone's doing this. But I'm finding our friendships are are growing through farming as well and we've got these connections with other people that get it and and want a really easy, beautiful lifestyle for their families as well. And even though I say easy, like my husband works seven days a week but it's a love and he, he gets such joy out of it that, you know, that is his hobby, his love, his passion. He comes home and studies it and I guess I'm the same. Like I just spend... You know, I can spend hours reading about things and it's not really a job really. But, yeah, the people that we're interacting with, you know, also have a similar ideal about, you know, low-impact farming and doing the best what they can for the environment and their own little footprint. Mm. So, yeah, I would say so. And especially in the valley, like I feel like it's such a – I mean, everyone knows Bellingen for being that beautiful organic farming-type area but I really think even the Taylor's Arm Nambucca Shire is just booming like and there's these people with such energy ready to 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 create and to do these wonderful things. And when I use the word methodology I'm I'm cautious that it's quite a a structured word and Mm. I I guess part of what you're doing is strategic but then there's there's probably Mm. a large Mm. component that is just innate as well. I exactly like so actually as far as the farm goes, we've done more paperwork than we've ever done and it's just monitoring and measuring and watching and learning and, uh, yeah, it's there's so much method to it but at the end of the day there's these gut-feeling choices. So, for example, like our cattle were really, really heavy laden with buffalo fly last year where to the point where it was really impacting them as as an animal and because we don't use a lot of chemical or minimal if we can we tried doing fly traps we tried all these different things and at the end of the day after a few months of really trying there was the point where we decided to use a chemical on them for the the health of the animal and so everything we do has a, a, a moral decision behind it but at the end of the day it's the health of whatever we're working with and if that does mean a chemical sometimes that is in in the toolbox that we use but we try to use it as the very last resort 
And so there's all this watching and monitoring and like I'll drive out in the paddock with my husband and he'll get out and he'll pick through the cow poo to make sure there's dung beetles are nice and active and there's lots of things you can't do by drone or by computer. It's just feet on the ground, talking to your cows, you know, just listening for life as well. So I can be eating eating my breakfast going, oh, my gosh, my veggie patch is so overrun. And Mick will go, look at the wrens in there, though. Like, there's life in there. So they're doing their – it's doing its job. This episode has been sponsored by Erin Gallagher Support Services, supporting individuals with a disability to access the things they enjoy and achieve their personal goals. You can find Erin on the Valley Hub. You were talking before about, you know, finding your tribe, so to speak, yeah, and how, yeah. mm-hmm. you know, like attracts like. Yeah, and I'm sort of curious, particularly because knowing that you you were uh, your farm was impacted by the 2019 bushfires, mm-hmm. I'm curious, you know, what you feel the progression has been in this specific community, so your Tungan community, mm-hmm. post those events, and and whether you've had to be sort of a little bit more intentional about coming together as a farming community. I think that was the biggest wake up call. I think m- the majority of farmers had in this area was that it's. It's all happening. It's, you know, we've got to act smart and um, part of regen farming is about keeping uh, your water content in the soil. So whether it was by chance or not, our farm wasn't impacted and the parts that were impacted was farms that were maybe, you know, a bit more heavy with uh, forestry or whatever, but part of me thinks was that it like was that what saved us because we're so intentional with keeping as much water in our soil as we can by growing really deep roots and things like that yes yeah, so after the fires we had this absolute gathering of people we had a day up at the hall where we just all just sat together and we talked and there was all these moments where everyone had their little story and there was just this absolute unity like everyone was on the same path and we all just want this happy, healthy community that we have. And we actually have a really great community at the best of times. Like there is just such a good network of people keeping an eye out for everyone. If there's a road car going up the road, I always call my husband neighbourhood watch. Like he's on it. Like (laughs) so that just intensified and and after the fires was even more so. Like so a lot of the the fire brigade are a little bit more – elderly and there was just this massive influx of new people and young Yatungan people joining the fire brigade to be a part and to be helpful and my husband and probably three or four close friends were involved in that quite on the ground and saw a lot of loss and and heartache and they I would say for months even up until this year we still if we get together at a at a party or something that ends up coming back to that that those few days where we just didn't know what was going to happen and and even now there's that fear like I saw smoke and I was that fear is instantly still there but I kind of feel a little bit at ease because the the whole community just came together like my mother-in-law she's gathering people up at the hall with a cups of tea and We've got people that stayed behind who were texting me to let me know that they'd seen Mick because I couldn't I couldn't contact him for three or four days and I was panicked. We've got four kids and I was living out of our, you know, not even a suitcase. I didn't take anything with us. I didn't realise the impact. I've never been in a traumatic situation like that. And just the gratefulness of everyone who who was impacted, like we were getting 
cases of beer dropped on our on our verandas and cards and a little girl made us a, a little car, thank you card for everything that Mick had done for their house and, you know, things like that. And things that you'll carry for a really long time. It, it definitely changed how I view the area we live in. All this, I just think, I just realised there's so many people that I didn't know that even lived here. So even after all the fires happened actually my husband's the community organizer I'm sure he loves a bit of a social outing he said there's so many newbies here we don't know anyone on the other roads so he put out little flyers him and Nicole who also works with the hall they put out flyers to invite everyone to get together to meet each other and I was thinking oh who would go to that you don't even know who's inviting you and we had like 60 or 70 people rock up for a barbecue and wow. all these people from Sydney or, you know, down the central coast that have come to retire and just to meet. And yeah, my husband said, gosh, they've all got these things they can add to us as a community. Like there's builders and there's bakers and there's nannies. And, you know, it was a really, really beautiful afternoon. So lovely. So you were mentioning before that the bushfires were you know, one of the contributing kind of catalysts to this new way of, of, of being that mm. you're both experiencing. Yeah, so the yes, the fires were a big indicator of how fragile where we live is and, and at any moment we could be, you know, out of jobs or out of a home even. And the next catalyst was my husband's motorbike accident in 2020, I think, or 21. I feel like it wasn't that long ago. And he was in a really serious accident and was bedridden for quite a while. And there was this moment where we had to lift him up to eat. And I thought, okay, so he's our breadwinner. He works seven days a week, all day, every day. And, you know, I feel like I do a great job at being a mum. But I, if something did happen, I've got, I've got no, no way to support my family. And there was this bit of a frightening moment where I thought, whoop what would I do? Like I'm not prepared and yeah, so that was another I guess big turning point where I thought I've got nothing to offer. Like I can – I've got nothing to help out if if things turned the other way where I needed to be the person leaving the house and and still aligning with my my vision board to be around for my family and and to create this healthy home. I was thinking I need something that – you know, works in with school hours or I don't want to go to work in an office. I don't want to be a hairdresser. And I just, yeah, I had a moment where I thought, what, what can I do? Why well, I'm not really trained in anything. And yeah, I guess I'd already been making a little bit of bread anyway. I, I Like it was literally a no mix stir bread and I was so proud of it. And it's probably like eating a scone. I don't know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And then, yeah, just the home cooking evolved, evolved, evolved and to the point where when I get obsessed with something, I do just research and I just got so excited and and all of a sudden I felt like I could take the weight off Mick a little bit knowing I can contribute, even though I just feed him, I can contribute a little bit and still run along both of our, our lines of thought of being the best that we can give to our family health-wise too. So how many loaves are you producing per day now, would you say? Well, I I kind of max out at 12 because I use my home oven and it takes about 45 minutes a loaf. So I could be up like at 3.30, o'clock in the morning. And that is not ideal. I, you know, I don't like getting up at that time, but I just, I've tried cooking it the night before. And my, I think my biggest 
draw card is that I deliver it warm and I want I just said to me I need to that's I can't change that so I've actually invested in a sourdough oven that will cook 12 at a time so I only have to do one bake which means I can get up at like six o'clock in the morning or seven o'clock and it arrives in two days so I'm like great pumped (laughs) so pumped and probably so broke so we will we'll just literally be eating bread but um there was just yeah this this, again, a little like how I got to make a choice. Do I push on with this? I'm real and Mick said, "Do you love it?" I said, "I love it." Like, and he said, "Well, you push on until you know until you don't love it anymore." So he's just ex- as excited as I am, and we got a, a vintage mixer that he fixed up for me, and <laughs> it's all going in the right direction. And, and I just really just trust that it's all just growing organically as it should be. I love word of mouth. I love meeting people and hand delivering. I don't want to shop, but I want to make a big song and dance I just like I feel like I'm meeting the community and people I've never met before and they're all so nice and you know I get to say I get to be social too like being a stay-at-home mum I'm meeting these people for a limited time but I get to say hello and leave the house and you know it's it seems to be growing quite organically and beautifully. Mm. There's some really good advice wrapped up in there which was you know you push on if you love it while yeah, you yeah. still love it. Yeah, it's that really passion's great. there. I just feel like when you're passionate about something, it's not a job. It's just your passion and, yeah, so it's it's just um, one of those things where I, I do ask myself, does it benefit everyone? And that's my – normally I'm trying to please everyone else because there's so many of us in our family. But at the end of the day, if I'm not, if I'm not pleased, it's hard work to do something you're not loving. So, mm. yeah. If you could go back and give yourself some advice, you know, Debbie from five years ago, <laughs> what would it be? Ooh, I'm really happy with how it's all evolved actually and I don't take back too many steps, I don't think. I, if anything, I wish we jumped into the regen ag thing, you know, 16 years ago when Mick showed me this book and I thought it was a load of crap. <laughs> I feel like we would have just been so ahead of the game if we had had our – trust in our our own selves and and just seeing that gap in in the world that was needed and I guess with myself I just don't want to wait another 16 years I'm just I'm just doing it and I and I guess another good reason why I'm doing it now is my eldest daughter who we're very very close has left home for uni and I've got time I'm not driving to gymnastics three times a week I'm not I don't know, I feel like I've got this little bit of an empty feeling that doesn't feel so empty when I'm busy. So I feel like, yeah, in that respect as well, just going with it and not putting things off. Like if you love it, just have a go and have a bash. And I mean, I'm a a hairdresser. I loved my craft for so many years. It was all I, that's all I practiced as. And when I didn't love it anymore, it was, I just knew myself that and that was good reasoning. It wasn't because of hairdressing. It was my thoughts on chemicals and things like that. And same with the bread. Like I just feel like when I'm passionate about something, I give it 110%. It's all I think about. I just have such a high expectation of of achieving for myself. And, I, you know, I study these loaves and go, oh, okay, I could have turned that down a bit there or add a bit of this. And, well, that was a bit stiff, that dough. Maybe next time. And it's almost... I don't know, in, in myself, I feel like I'm keeping my, my brain healthy, happy. I'm not grieving a child that's left home. I'm not grieving a husband that is recovering from a, a, an accident. I'm just enjoying 
you know, doing my bread. And I'm in the kitchen when my kids are at home anyway, just as I wanted to be. So they're all milling about me anyway. So they're a little bit sick of bread, but it's okay. (laughs) (laughs) So what's next for you? Now you've got your 12 loaf capacity oven (laughs) on the go. What's what's next? Do you plan to up the ante or you can Hmm. just kind of keep going steady? Yeah, I, I feel like I'll just, you know, see how it rolls out. I'm not... I'm not trying to be a baker. I call myself a homemaker baker. Like I just feel like if people are into what I do, they'll find me and I feel like that's what's happening already. I don't really, you know, I don't advertise or anything like that, but I feel like when you like something, you you source it. And uh, I guess my next step is, yeah, probably up the ante a little bit and there's a few chats with my cafe and things like that and supporting local people. That's my biggest thing. I've also got a really great veggie farm up the road that we're in cahoots with as well. And so if anything, it'll just be expanding on that local community side of things. It'll it'll be still delivering into letterboxes on the way to school and still having meetup points on the riverbank because that, that to me is what I like and I like seeing their face and I feel like I'm Santa dropping off a uh-huh. present. So it feels nice and um, all it will mean is that I'll have more time at home uh, instead of taking me hours on end to knead the dough and to, you know, getting up at the crack of dawn to bake all these doughs, it'll just streamline what I'm doing already and hopefully that'll make life less less chaotic at night time when I'm trying to cook for my family as well. Mm. So if people do want to find you, how yeah. can they find you? Well, basically I've just set up an Instagram account so people can message me through that and it's just about my home, like bread, the farm, and I'm finding, you know, keeping that separate from my Facebook, you know, who I am sort of thing. And that's uh, at Deb E. Green at Instagram. So it's D-B at, what was it? Deb.E.Green <laughs> at Instagram. Yeah. Um, and I also, if they already know me on Facebook, just through Messenger. And I do have a, a mobile number as well that I'm happy to put out, but maybe not on not on the podcast yeah yeah no worries great thank you so much for coming on the podcast thank you you know I could talk for a lot longer (laughs) I get very excited I feel like there's lots of stories there I'd like to come back to at another time absolutely yeah yeah there's little offshoots everywhere that gets us to this point in time anyway yeah thank you for sharing today it's a pleasure thank you so much Thanks for listening to the Valley Hub Stories podcast. If you have a story you'd like to share, reach out. We'd love to hear from you. You can find us at thevalleyhub underscore NV or email us at info at thevalleyhub.com.au.